Welcome to Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play you Copo. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 10, Wishy-Washy Part 1, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Jeff Hunt, guest starring Danielle Bizzuti, Evan Hofer, Abby Cobb, and Kanoa Goo. As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 10 yet, stop whatever you're doing, you can take your turtle to the pond later, and watch <laughs> Wishy Washy Part 1, either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. A quick recap, Hexala's coven sister, Regana, comes for a zinger-filled but friendly visit. However, when she discovers Baldric, Regana calls in the debt he owes her from long ago, and he becomes enslaved to her for a year. Dwight, Greta, and Hexala must now do everything in their power to release Baldric from this spell. Will there be battles? Certainly. Will they involve an innocent turtle? Likely. <laughs> will there be casualties? We will soon see. <laughs> now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. Back with us are the creators and showrunners of Dwight and Shining Armor, Brian J. Adams and Leanne H. Adams. Hello, Josh. Hello. Thanks for coming back. And back with us for the third time this season is the man who plays Baldric, the magician on a mission, Joel McCrary. Oh, I love him. <laughs> He's awesome. We love him, too. We love him, too. Really? Yeah. Really? Really. Seriously. Seriously. Good, because I'm very lonely. <laughs> you can stay here as long as you want. Okay. Don't make promises you can't keep. <laughs> and for the first time this season, we have with us Princess Greta, played by the one, the only, the newly minted college student, Whoa. Caitlin Carmichael. Woo! Hey, Kaylin. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Thanks for coming back. Let's start with the start. Regana appears in Hexla's mirror. How does that visual effect work on set? Did Danielle and Abby get to do the scene together? Were they shot separately? So they were shot separately. Hexla shot her portion in her salon, mm -hmm. uh, and Abby stood just off camera running lines. And then we didn't have where Regana was broadcasting from, which we don't know where that is yet. Danielle was just off camera running lines with Abby. Uh, so yes, uh, they were they were sort of shooting it together, but not really. And there was a quick. Fun fact, uh, as Regana is talking about Dwight, she has Dwight tied up and gagged uh, behind her. Right. Uh, and Jeff Hunt, the director, decided to pull it to play a little prank on Sloan. And so he <laughs> passed it around the entire cast and crew to just walk out. So we were shooting this, and, and, and Sloan was actually gagged and tied up, and everyone just walked off the set, and Sloan, it was it happened really slowly, and all of a sudden, Sloan was the only person standing there, and he was tied up and gagged, and everyone just left him, including, by the way, his own parents were in on it, and his own parents walked away, and he's like, and he's like Mom? No, and all the lights were still on, and they're just still rolling the cameras, and he's like, anybody? And then it just goes dark. Yeah, exactly. And so then he kind of like like waddled out tied up and gagged saying like guys what's going on so that's amazing it's a very mean but kind of funny thing did any of that make it into the show did any of that no but we do have the we footage have the somewhere footage. Oh. oh that's special he told special. me I think he thought there was like a fire drill or something that <laughs> and we all just deserted. immediately abandoned him there's a fire Sloan we gotta go you stay here hold down the fort <laughs> alright we need something to burn <laughs> oh man okay so speaking of people that are historically burned uh, this is the first time we're meeting a witch that isn't Hexla. And even though Hexla is generally out for herself. <laughs> That's quite the transition. What a transition. Way to segue. Speaking of things that burn, let's talk about witches. Oh, my God. Oh, man. All right. So, so, 
So uh, this is the first time we're meeting a witch that isn't Hexla. And even though uh, Hexla is generally out for herself, she has consistently come to the aid of our gang and even referred to them as her friends in Invincible. Uh, how did you decide to finally make another witch the villain of an episode? So we've been planning for a while to expand our world of witches mm-hmm. um, and and to create a subculture of witches within um, the people in the woods. So it's something we had been noodling on and kind of dreaming about. And uh, even in Switcheroo, we start to kind of delve a little bit more into a mythology of witches with the idea of a witch's debt um, being a, a powerful and scary thing. Um, and so, so we... We, we anticipated in this season that we wanted to go there and then we go there even even more in season three uh, with building out the idea that there's a community of witches and that have their own distinct culture. They have rules of their culture. Um, they have covens that they belong to. And um, and so uh, this is our first introduction to another, another witch. We also wanted to show um, that there's some... Uh, variety in the character of the witches and that um, that Hexla is actually sort of a special witch. <laughs> when we first meet Hexla, she seems like the Wicked Witch. And even when she turns into the beautiful maiden version of the Wicked Witch, there's still a wickedness to her that's sort of fun to play with. Um, if you've been paying attention, Hexla is sort of softened in, in our story and become much less wicked, although we don't quite know that whether we can trust her. She's not an evil presence anymore. So we wanted to bring She's in, bad, but she's good for a yeah, witch. Yeah, she's, she's got a good heart. And we've seen a kind of evolution in her character the more she's been around the other characters um, and and kind of subject to their influence particularly Baldrick's influence Um, so now we we wanted to have a truly wicked Mm -hmm. witch come into our story to sort of show that Hexala is not that Um, and and so we'll see that in Regana uh, in in part one and then later in part two of Wishy Washy Mm. That's a good tease. That sounds great. And we'll talk more about that later because there is some specificity in their differences that I want to get into. So so that, that moment when Baldrick talks about the folly of his youth is an interesting beat for Greta. It's that weird moment that everyone comes to at some point in their life when you realize your parents had a life before you were born and not just a life, but a romantic life. And what's interesting to me about this is this season has specifically explored Greta's romantic life from Amelia to Dwight. Um, what was it like playing the growing romanticism of Greta this season? Well, I can say I didn't even realize how much we were exploring this because we filmed our episodes out of order. And then I'm <laughs> watching them play out and I was like, oh, we're really getting into this, aren't mm-hmm. we? But I think the hardest part might honestly be getting questions like these, especially around Brian and Leanne because they're not allowed to spoil anything. Mm. But I think that it's honestly become a really fun thing for us as a cast and crew like everyone gets into this shipping war of the characters as Jeff Hunt calls it and it's honestly like them all trying to instigate these things in the scenes to make it more romantic lighting and it's like the electrics are fighting with the sound department of who can create the better ambiance. Really? Yes. I had no idea. So they see these script pages and they go like we're gonna make this super romantic. Yes and especially in um Queen Tree and Truthberry Cobbler, this balancing between Greta and Emilian storyline versus Greta and Dwight, that's something that's was really fun for us as a cast to get to play with. And I think it'll be really interesting to see play out over the next couple of seasons. I agree. I love that a Renaissance tonic has the benefits of the literal meaning of Renaissance, <laughs> which is rebirth. Um, in the world of Dwight, and you touched on this a little bit, Leanne, already, uh, do different witches have different specialities? And uh, tangential question, are witches born witches in this world? 
Okay, great, great question. So yes, I would say that that uh, the witches in our world have specialties. Um, they their magic um, all seems to be kind of unified in that it's an elemental magic. They need an ingredient in order to work their magic. Uh, so unlike Baldrick's magic that is about this scepter and magic words, theirs is about literal ingredients that they throw at one another. Um, and so in that way, it's similar. But but we like to explore, and we will explore more real. Uh, specificity of of um, their style. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to see um, we're going to see these two witches go head to head against each other, not in Wishy Washy Part One, but in a future episode uh, where you'll get to see a little bit more of their style come out. But it always remains that elemental magic. They have to have an ingredient. As far as whether or not they're born to it, that's an interesting question, one that we hadn't explicitly thought about. But I would say no. I think it's something you learn. Mm. Um, it's a craft that it's you can craft. choose. Exactly. Um, maybe you're born into a kind of a witching family or a witching community. But my instinct is, and this is something we should probably delve into a little bit more, Brian, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> that you can learn it uh, if you want to, if you're willing to put in the time. Joel, how did getting petrified work? Uh, well, it was interesting because I remember that was coming up and people talking to me and being like, <laughs> like and me going to uh, showrunners and directors, how are we doing this? Yeah. Um, and at one point there was a discussion of building an apparatus that I could almost sit in in that oh, position. Mm-hmm. That did not happen. Uh, so <laughs> I, I froze. I just You're went, kidding. So, I am not. Yeah, so he he held that frozen position, and then we were able to capture a frame of it that was r- just really perfect in the expression that he was making and in, in his body, and then with visual effects. Yeah, then we, we, held... we cut the screen in half, and the, the way we blocked it was was uh, set so that we could freeze just that part of the frame, and then the rest of the action could ha- happen on the left side of the frame. I see. So, yeah, so it really was kind of like run, freeze, just hold it for a second. Okay, we can freeze that image, and now yeah. I could move out. I so I didn't have to stand there for the whole <laughs> thing getting scene. I also, and I hope I'm not, you know, uh, blowing our cover with anything. But I also love that your express, your facial expression slightly changes from shot to shot, <laughs> right, in that. Right, right. and it's so fun. The close up, the dead on close up of you, is the funniest shot I've seen. Oh, yeah. good. oh good, good, it's so good. Oh, thanks. I feel like a huge recurring theme on the show is taking people away from Greta. When Baldrick is petrified and then later turned into a servant, you know, and of course everything that's come before. Poor Greta. And then <laughs> at the end of this episode as well, uh, what is that like for Greta? No, I mean someone. People always want to take things from me. They want my. <laughs> they want my throne. They want my uh, court magician. They want my champion. They, mm-hmm. Leave me be, please. <laughs> um, I think that it's actually is the, the more I think about it, a really interesting theme that goes along, and it has to force Greta to really make these connections and really solidify these relationships in the modern world that I feel like in in my mind is Greta at least she's been hesitant to Mm -hmm. so in the first couple seasons she's seeing this as a very temporary world this is yet another fortress and another battle she's going into but the more people are taken from her and she has to rescue them the more she's realizing how much she cares about them very insightful that's really interesting that's such a good answer I was going to ask a follow up but I don't need to that's so great (laughs) yeah that's that's great where aware did the idea for a wish turtle come from? Okay. All right. So we had wanted for a very long time to do an episode, a kind of a genie out of the bottle episode. We thought like, you know, we have magic in our world. We should have a character that can grant wishes. And and, and we went for a while down the path that it would be a sort of traditional, um, you have three wishes mm-hmm. sort of episode. And that we would get to use that to show that Dwight 
doesn't think that way and doesn't care about you know, having his wishes granted that to kind of show us something insightful about Dwight. So for a long time, we, we kind of went down the path on that, but we didn't want to do a traditional genie. It felt outside of our world and our magic. Well, um, and, and, and as we were figuring out ways to do uh, you know, a wish episode, this is one of those times where we realized that we have had left the breadcrumb for ourselves in a previous episode. Yes, you had. We had, we had this little plant. And, and <laughs> this is another one of those times that I wish we could say that we had the foresight from the beginning. But it, it started out um, in Invincible with, with another just funny offhanded joke. Uh, and Hexla has this turtle. And at the time, it was just supposed to be a weird Hexla thing. Like, here, you know, speak. speak rub this turtle. Rub this, rub this turtle and speak. Just speak some some uh, flattering words to it, mm-hmm. you know, and and we weren't really at the at that time planning on on coming back to it, but then we realized yeah. we're like, oh my gosh, we felt so smart <laughs> <laughs> when, when we put that together. Like, oh my gosh, the wish the turtle could be our genie. Yeah, uh, and so anyway, that's how that. All well, I remember when we shot the, the first scenes with the turtle. And we were asking, what is this yeah, leading to? What like, is this what about? Is this? And and you guys were like, well, we don't know. Now I know. You really know. <laughs> we, <do. laughs> we sometimes pretend we're smarter than we are. But I realize now you have the same facial expressions when you do know and you don't know, but you're telling us you don't know. You're not the way. only one who's an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joel, the physical comedy begins. Baldrick is under control of Regana's every command. When you do this particular kind of physical comedy, your body acting of its own volition, what do you do to sell the reality of the situation? Uh, you, you know, one of the things I did do when this was coming up, I went and watched uh, the scene in Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and in particular was watching Catherine O'Hara, but just because of this type of thing that's my favorite all time and her reactions and it's just so much of the eyes looking around like what the heck's going on while your body is doing this stuff and looking at it and watching it and so I just I kind of watched that and said okay I just want to remember that and I you know mostly I want it to be in the eyes that we're sitting there uh, watching myself do stuff that I'm not in control of and the the look of uh, surprise and you know, trying to control it, but can't. That's so smart because you're, you're observing yourself. You know, Mm. if it's in the eyes, you're seeing yourself do these things. That makes so much sense. Yes. And I totally stole it from Catherine O'Hara. Well, she's very (laughs) smart as well. She probably stole it from someone else, but we will give you full credit. Yes. There was a caveman named Og. (laughs) First one to ever do it. We've just been stealing from Og ever since. uh, Around the campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Og. Uh, yeah, he's a genius. He, he's a genius. He did end up in the campfire doing yeah. the bit, but he was a genius. He also discovered fire and the wheel. Nice. Oh, yeah. Good for Og. Og. All thanks to Og. Yep. <laughs> All hail Og. I noticed that the rock holder made it into this episode. <laughs> was that done on purpose? Was that like a line that was cut? Was that so, how did that happen? So uh, Jeff Hunt, the director, uh, along with uh, Sloan and Caitlin in the props department, went totally ham <laughs> on this scene. They were going crazy, and they filmed so many. Uh, so we, I, I think Every we literally prop we've ever had. I think out. we ended up using like seven percent of what they filmed. They just kept grabbing stuff, and and we were letting them have their fun um well, and if you watch the scene too i mean we had to cut a lot of that out just sure but if you watch the scene there's a lot of random 
objects that have started to collect <laughs> on that kitchen island. Um, so it's worth going back to take a peek yeah, at everything that has, has assembled there. So we, we cut a lot of them as they actually called them out, but they would, after they called them out, put them on the island. So right. the island has a lot more stuff than we actually see. And the rock holder was just one of those random things that on the day they grabbed. And it, it's so super funny. funny, and that's why we left it in. And there was lots of funny stuff we had to cut, but if we had done all of it, it would have been a like, 30-minute montage. <laughs> they just kept on going. I could watch that. As you yeah. just tear apart the set and destroy all the props. Joel, how many takes did it take to catch the popcorn in your mouth successfully? And also, did you practice slapping yourself leading up to this episode? No. I Well, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, I did not practice it because I wanted to save the pain. For, <laughs> I, I thought, why am I going to practice something that's going to hurt? Yeah. So you just do it, you hurt, and you move on. Um, <laughs> and the popcorn, was that just like you went and went until one successfully was caught? Uh, I do remember. It was like we, we had a catch early on. But there were uh, uh, some of the people in the shot celebrated the fact rather than it just being normal. And oh. so it was like, boom, and caught it much earlier than we expected. And then it was like, yay! It was uh. like, well, that ruined the take. <laughs> <laughs> so that did become the thing. It's like, okay, if he catches it, nobody overreact. Nobody celebrate the fact that we got the shot <laughs> because then we don't got the shot. No, no. It's a uh, dire circumstance in which you're catching the popcorn. Initially, Regana is just a pain in the butt to Hexla, almost like a, a sibling rivalry. She shows up, she tries to steal Hexla's stuff, be it a book, a potion, or the magician she loves. But, you know, that's just a game, and it all changes when she sees something of true value in Dwight. It becomes clear that she wasn't coming anywhere near to exercising the depth of her power until she uses her magic to take Dwight. How do you go about organically hiding a character's powers without being purposefully opaque. Sure. So with Regana, we approached it with the idea that we would have a gradual progression uh, of her um, display of power. Uh, and and she has a very dramatic entrance when she comes walking into the salon and there's the smoke and, she, and then she jokes about how, oh, it's so fun to make an entrance. But our first impression of her is actually a very accurate one. Mm. She comes in, she's powerful, she's dangerous, we don't know what to think of her. And that, that first impression is correct. And then she does this disarming thing where she starts to laugh and, and say, oh, it's so fun to, to, make a, to make an entrance. And they giggle together and they seem to be friends. But you shouldn't trust it. You should trust what you first saw because mm-hmm. um, that's what she's going to return to is, is that persona. It's one of those blink moments. You should yeah. really trust your first instinct. Yeah, yeah. Your first instinct is correct. Um, and, and then throughout, we, we pepper in these... Uh, these evidences of her real power, you know, the fact that she has a Renaissance tonic, we've never encountered anything quite that powerful before. And she's very kind of glib about it. And then that she can, she can uh, uh, put, snap her fingers and put uh, Baldrick uh, in, in his apron and, and servants clothing and put him under that spell. We're seeing that she's rather a force to be reckoned with. There's also a hint that she's very, 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 very old. Yes. <laughs> um, and been around a really long time, more experienced than Hexala, probably. Um, and certainly, we want to give the impression that she's, if not more powerful, at least more ruthless than uh, than Hexala is. So, um, so we we tease it out. But in a way, we've already shown you everything that you need to know about her from the very beginning if you were paying attention. That's really interesting. So it's all there, but you kind of forget about yeah. it and disarmed, and then it comes back. Because when she moves yep. um, to grab the turtle, she, I mean, that is shocking. Yep. She, that she, we've never seen Hexala move no. 
faster than light or wh- yep, whatever yep, speed yep. that is. We, you know, it, it comes out of nowhere and yep. it's, you realize how very powerful yeah. she is. It's great. I love that. Well, and one last thing about that, mm-hmm. um, that movement uh, was something Jeff Hunt brought uh, to our world. It's called a vamp. Uh, and apparently it's a, it's a f- an effect uh, that he's done on his extensive work on all the vampire shows. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really cool, uh, you know, camera effect that he's able to do, you know, with, with the actors. And now it's, it, we've done it enough that he's like, okay guys, we're doing a vamp. Um, and so, it, and I think it's really, really cool. And it's so effective. It's, it's bi- it was big on True Blood. Yep. That's where he got it. There you go. The first season ended with Greta being kidnapped, albeit unknowingly, by Sir Aldred. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now season two is ending with Dwight being kidnapped by Regana. Greta sees it happen the moment before she passes out and she says something rare. Greta says Dwight, not Sir Dwight, but Dwight. It seems that she's seeing him as more than her champion. So what was that moment like for you, Caitlin? We filmed actually a lot of different forms of our endings and different takes so that Brian and Leanne could have their editing fun. <laughs> and whichever way we could choose they, our own adventure. Yes, they could choose their own adventure for how they really wanted to set up this next season we're going into. But I think that the idea of saying Sir Dwight versus Dwight is something that I've very uh, carefully played on throughout the episodes. And I've tried to pick certain moments when calling him Dwight seems a little bit more intimate and personal i think it's when it's not the princess champion business relationship that they talk about it's just the connection between the two of them and uh, greta really caring for dwight as a person Mm -hmm. yeah it plays so clearly in that moment and it's it's one of those things where you're a good actress you're saying one word and i you feel all Mm -hmm. that and it's a really great moment you do something subtle here um Hexla, who will uh, literally stoop to lying about math to win a bet, <laughs> shames Regana for leaving a witch's brawl. And all of a sudden we see, and Leanne, you alluded to this a little earlier, we see that even witches have some sort of a code, which we've never really gotten before now. And, and Hexla is honorable compared to Regana. Is that kind of subtlety in the writing something you outlined? Or did that come out organically in the actual fingers to keys process. Yeah, so uh, we definitely wanted to show that uh, Regana is a wicked witch compared to Hexala, who's not that bad now that we can now that we can see her in contrast to, She's to the evil witch, witch with a heart of gold. Yeah, that yes. Hexala is a good witch that she does have a sense of morality even though it's different than say Dwight's. Um, you never dated her, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she can be cruel. She can be. <laughs> um, so we we wanted to show a couple of things in in this moment. First, that Hexala does have a greater sense of honor and even propriety than uh, than Regana has, but also that seeing the wish turtle and seeing Dwight's gift with the wish turtle was such an important discovery for mm. Regana that mm-hmm. she is willing to um, to harm her own reputation in the witch community by fleeing a, a, a witch's brawl in order to get that. That nothing is more important than the wish turtle and the boy with the gift. Right, right. And and we were we we're just beginning to build that witch's world here and so we want to establish sort of the norms and, and rules and the code that the witches, witches uh live by and we also really wanted to get to that witch's brawl which <laughs> have to, having seen the seen this episode you know we didn't get to but we may I get know, to I we may so get badly. to a witch's brawl <laughs> in another future episode yes. that, that was that, oh, that's boy. Our, <laughs> that, that's something we're we're super enchanted by something we haven't talked about much is baldrick's relationship to dwight we talk hmm. about baldrick and greta all the time and greta and dwight 
So at first, Dwight was often the butt of Baldrick's jokes. You know, he's an easy target. And although that still happens, you know, in Lucky and Love, Baldrick's taking great joy in Dwight's <laughs> humiliation, which we talked about. Um, he has certainly stopped mocking his lack of champion-like qualities. And now he's retaping his staff to go save him. What has changed for Baldrick in relation to Dwight at this point in the series? Well, I think at this point, you know, we're coming up to season two. So we've had 20 episodes of seeing Dwight deliver. Uh, and Baldrick, uh, of course, has seen this. Uh, and I think as part of their relationship, he's going to continue to tease and make fun of him mm-hmm. um, because that's just uh, – part of it is it's natural uh, for Baldrick right. um, uh, t- to do that. Uh, and he's mostly around Princess Greta. Well, he can't do that to her because <laughs> she is the princess. Sure. Um, and so then – Dwight is the other one that's around a lot, so he gets it. Uh, all of uh, Baldrick's stored up uh, uh, insults. Um, but but I think he's seen him deliver time and time again and been surprised by him. It's like, oh, okay, there are other ways of doing things. Um, you know, not just, as he says in the pilot, you know, brute force. Uh, there are other subtleties and things that he's learning from Dwight. Uh, so... There's a certain amount of respect that has grown, and I think you see that arc over the episodes and more and more. It's like moments of realization of, oh, there's something more to this kid. And and I, and I, I think the, the writing is really good that we see that overall and grow to the point – you know, at this point, he really cares a lot and, you know, has a, a little bit of a fatherly thing going mm-hmm. on with Dwight. I know it's a small moment, but one of my favorite performances you give is gearing up to get Dwight in the sequence at the end when everybody's going to go rescue him. Everyone's intense, everyone's angry and determined, but there's this beautiful sadness that kind of comes through your determination here when you're prepping and getting ready. And you kind of look off screen like you're thinking about it. It's great. So what was on your mind as an actress going into this single shot? Right before we filmed this scene, we did the shot, I believe, of Sloane where he was tied up and gagged in the background of Regana's conversation in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And it was like the day or two before that we had filmed our part of the mirror scene with um, Baldrick, Hexala, Claudewig, and Greta looking into the mirror. And I think it was... Abby Cobb of Regana and Sloan, they weren't there reading with us. So we were just reading the lines into the mirror and everyone was determined and uh, very strong and ready to go save Dwight. And then I watched the other side of the conversation being filmed. Mm-hmm. I realized that I Greta would have been able to have clearly seen Dwight a lot more in mm-hmm. this shot of the mirror, whereas I didn't mm-hmm. recognize from the script how prevalent she was going to be able to clearly see him in the background of this conversation. And I was feeling like that sadness didn't really come through as much as I would have wanted it to in the first conversation on the other side of the mirror. So I really wanted to make sure that there's this kind of juxtaposition that her walls are coming up, putting on the <laughs> armor, but I thought it was a good opportunity to kind of show the walls coming down at the same time. I love that. Let's listen to a clip. Greta! Are you dead? (sighs) Dwight! Claudwig. Princess! Excellent. My Hexie! 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 My Hexie! Hexie! Where is she? She's gone, my angel. You have nothing to fear. That's where you're wrong, Baldrick. 
Where is Sir Dwight? He's gone. Regana took him. Ghana. Imagine what people will say. You of all witches running from a witch's brawl. Where is Sir Dwight? Who? Dark hair, big cheeks. The turtle boy. Ah, him. I have taken him for ransom. <laughs> ransom? Name your price. Oh, see where you're confused. Um, he is the ransom. For you, Baldrick. You're free from your servitude, your debt is paid. I shall take the boy instead. No! Lovely as always to see you, Hexley. I must be off. Whither? As far from where you stand as I can get. That's right, witch. You'd better run. You should leave too, Hexley, before it's too late. What do you mean? You know exactly what I mean, old friend. You feel it as surely as I do. Why you choose to remain in that dark realm, I cannot fathom. Run, Hexa, while you still may. An evil is rising from the ground. Let's talk about the choice to do a part one as a season closer. Uh, you've talked about childhood TV influences before on this podcast. What draws you to season-ending cliffhangers? <laughs> Well, definitely the childhood TV influences. I, I, w- I was so uh, enamored, as I've mentioned before, with two shows, uh, Scooby-Doo and Dukes of Hazard. Right. And uh, Dukes of Hazard. I remember so many episodes when I was like nine that the, you know the the car was jumping in mid jump, and they would end the episode, <laughs> and it would say "to be continued." And that was that was such a. a, a well, t- it looks like the Duke boys got themselves yeah. in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> was that you? Did you do that voice? I wish it was Wailing Jennings. You're right. It was. Was. Yeah. I, I had the actually forty five record of him oh, singing. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I, yeah, I was a big fan. Anyway, it was it was such a torturous pleasure. I hated them so much, but I was definitely going to tune in next week. And there was a little bit of a buzz that that I got out of that. Uh, so that so that was a, a big part of it. Also, our one of our jobs as showrunners is to continue to have a show. Yes. and and it helps you know with leaving a season uh, ending a season on a cliffhanger because as coy as we are with the actors, we've been more so with the network and say like well if you want to find out what happens to Dwight you, you know so we we do that uh, a lot I mean I'm only half joking yeah about that. no I believe it and and this season you have last season there was one cliffhanger mm-hmm. this season there are two yes so this season um, this season finale is really um, setting the stage for season three where a lot's going to happen with Sir Aldred with the Tovenars we're we're hinting at that we're leaving it Dw- Dwight in serious peril but but also we're reminding the audience that there is uh, another peril still looming out there. So um, we won't end every season on cliffhangers like we have these last two, but we are building to something and it makes sense to keep that energy and that momentum pushing us forward. Um, and we just do love the tease. It's it's a lot of fun. We love to do parts one and two as well. And, and we rarely get the opportunity to break a story into two episodes. Um, so that as it worked out in this one, we happened to get that opportunity on a season break and we used it there. So last year we wrapped up by talking about how this show affected everyone's lives and what changes had taken place. Uh, but this year I have a different question for you. I'm just curious, what was all of your favorite scenes to either shoot or write this season. One of 
one of my favorite episodes from season two is Agnet. Yes. Uh, and there were so many incredible moments <laughs> in, in that in that script. But we had a lot of fun making up more ridiculous songs oh, for yeah. <laughs> for our for our for our uh, Dwight in Shining Armor album. Uh, and and watching watching Claudwig sing his song that we originally alluded to in the pilot, and then watching Agnet do an even more ridiculous version of her song with the with the bagpipes, and then watching all of the extras look who didn't know anything about the show watch these maniacs up there singing these ridiculous <laughs> songs over and over and over again that whole th- that whole sequence was really fun and, and rewarding for for me personally that's great answer. and i love that episode and uh, well yeah, yeah all of them i love it too so um a, a scene that always pops in my mind um uh, from season two as a favorite is in truth Fairy cobbler hexla and baldrick talking about Cheese. <laughs> cheese scene. And the yes. cheese scene yes. in, in Truth Break Cobbler, the two of them, uh, we were so proud of that scene when we wrote it, like Brian and I laughing our butts off as we read it to each other. Like, this is the most outrageously silly thing we've ever written. And then when when we were watching it in the monitor, it's just this, for most of the scenes, just that one shot of them mm. walking down this spooky corridor, her talking about her, how her body spirit smells like cheese. Um, and then they get just stuck in this silly conversation. It all came together so well. And, and Brian and I just looked at each other other we're like we're capturing something really special in this moment between these two characters where the guard has come down and they are saying the dumbest things to each other <laughs> and that's still a running joke between all of us we just look at each other during the day it's like i, I like, like cheese. cheese i like cheese <laughs> my mom saw a cheese commercial literally yesterday and she was like oh joel would like this <laughs> um, okay i'll add on to that with my answer i think that definitely my favorite episode of this season if not one of my favorite episodes we have ever done would be Truthberry Cobbler. It's such a special episode, and I don't know, something about the absurdity of it all is is really, really special, and how we see our characters' walls comes come down, yeah. really, and they're just being their emotionally vulnerable selves, and however they choose to express that is different for <laughs> each character, but um, I'll talk on a different episode just a little bit. Um, we filmed that episode at the same time that we did Alban Elfa Day. Oh, yeah. Which is probably still the craziest episode we've ever done mentally, at least for us all. Not necessarily because of the stunts or the weather or things we were eating in the episodes. It was just so <laughs> mentally insane. And we all started losing our minds a little bit through that episode, not realizing how crazy it would be t- for Groundhog Day. But I, we put our director... Uh, James Larkin just through so much mental trauma through that episode <laughs> trying to keep track of all of the different days and he would come up to me and go sweetie we are on day 420 <laughs> I, was, I was like um Jim this is this is day one in the script <laughs> he just goes no <laughs> and then just sulks away and I realized we were deteriorating like any form of sanity but we all lost our sanity together we came back together and I think it really takes the viewer through a mental episode as you watch the episode. <laughs> it certainly does. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I, and I, a lot of my answers have already been uh, spoken. Definitely the cheese. The perils of going last. Yes. <laughs> well, the cheese scene definitely sticks out. That was that was a favorite one to shoot and, and, 
as an actor, it, like the writing was just so awesome, and to get to play in that the, with those words and and uh, find those moments, and working with Danielle, of course, mm-hmm. uh, I love the chemistry that our two characters have. Uh, but then um, also Alban Elfid Day, that may be my favorite episode. Yeah. Just it just it's such a good episode. Uh, but the moment, um, just like overall scene. Uh, the the moment where Baldrick does the bubbles, yeah. the bubbles, yes. and it's magic. But just that shot that James got, where it starts on Baldrick and pulls back, mm-hmm. and you see Claude Wig like a puppy <laughs> playing with bubbles, <laughs> and then you see Danielle dancing around, and we pull back and see Greta mm-hmm. and and uh, Dwight all uh, in this magical shot. moment. It's just such a magical shot which is what it's set up to be this right, magical right. moment and it really is mm-hmm. but it's just bubbles yeah. you know but it's 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 just a great moment yeah. so that's probably my favorite overall just mm. moment Cool. Oh, that, that's a great answer. All right. Well, that wraps it up for season two of Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Thank you, Josh. you Caitlin. Thank you, Josh. You're so very welcome. It is my pleasure as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you can follow Brian on Instagram at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. You can follow Leanne at Leanne H. Adams. You can follow Joel at McCrary underscore Joel. You can follow Caitlin at really Caitlin XOX. You can follow the show at Dwight and Shining Armor, and you can follow me at the Josh Breslow. Tune in again next season for the premiere, you guessed it, Wishy Washy Part 2 to find out the fates of our heroes. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Till then, I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life. Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom is written, edited, and hosted by Josh Breslow. Executive producers, Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams. Our studio engineer is Mike Schmidt. The theme song is composed by Christian Davis. And this podcast is recorded at the Comedy Store in West Hollywood.